When you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Welcome everyone to the podcast. I am Francis Populin and today we are going to be discussing the philosophy of Stoicism. Stoicism originated in ancient Greece around the 3rd century BC and was later adopted by the Romans. Among other things, it teaches that individuals should be focused on what they can control and accept what they cannot. The philosophy also epitomizes the development of self-control and fortitude as a means of managing emotions and the importance of virtue. The philosophy has influenced many areas of modern life, including psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy and business management. In this episode, we will explore how we can teach children about the key tenets of Stoicism and how they can apply its teachings to their daily lives. My guest is Kel Heath. Kel has written articles for Stoicare and Modern Stoicism around how and when to teach children about Stoic principles. So sit back and let's dive into the world of Stoicism and how jumping on board early might help our children develop a skill set to navigate the challenges of modern life. Hi. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on to the podcast. That's no problem. It's a pleasure. So I would like to, uh, as a starting point, because I discovered you obviously through uh, the blog that you had written, which I think is a, it's, it's appeared in quite a few places, hasn't it? Like it's the, where I found it was on the Modern Stoicism site. Yeah, so I've written articles for Modern Stoicism and Stoicare. Um, so the article that we connected was was the Stoicare article on teaching Stoicism to your children how and when was that appropriate if we go back prior to that point i want to go back pre-2018 um because that was the period of in your life where you decided to take a pause on your career yeah that's right yeah so So, what was it that you would if you could explain i guess what you were doing in the lead up you know obviously i'm guessing you would have been a busy mum and a, a professional as well, trying to cram everything into the smallest amount of hours every day. So what were you doing and what led up to that mindset? Right. So I'd been working for about 15 years um, in scientific research. And my husband and I had pursued quite exciting um, careers that took us to lots of interesting places and, and life was hectic, but we we thrived on that. And then children came along and at, a, at the same time, my parents fell ill. And I think this is a story that's common really across the world, isn't it? We suddenly find ourselves where life is squeezing us and priorities change and you didn't foresee it. So I suddenly found myself trying to juggle a career, two young children and aging parents. And, um, yeah, just started to feel 
you know, see the warning signs of burnout. So you then decided to to stop um, work to focus on looking after your parents and also spending more time, I guess, with your own kids as well. Yeah, that's right. I um, I mean, I was very driven as a professional. So when I had the children, it took me by surprise, really, because I, I'd assumed I would just return to work, put them in childcare and, you know, carry on the conveyor belt to success, as, as I called it. And yeah. something changed in me, not so much when they were very young, because, you know, they went to nursery and, and that was all fine. It was really when they started primary school and they started to be able to speak better and explain to me how they felt and how they wanted mummy around. And I just really struggled with sending them to school or putting them in, in after school and um, and going to work. I just wanted to be there for them. And yes, I was also doing a lot of driving I'm about 200 miles away from my parents. Um, so yeah, the pressure was all on, you know, and, and I just decided to pause the career and focus on family and caregiving. And so at that point, this is where um, I suppose part of the, the article that you wrote is you then develop that fear of people asking, what do you do? Which is pretty much the next thing they say after, you know, nice to meet you. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's interesting. It is the first thing we ask people, isn't it, after their name? Yeah. And um, I'm sure it's just an ice breaking question, but it's just interesting that we choose that question as as a way of sort of gauging where someone sits in society. And it suddenly became the question that you dread um, because you think, well, I don't do anything. In fact, you're so busy. <laughs> You know, when you're a caregiver, I'm sure, you know, anyone who's who's got children or aging parents, which is almost everyone, knows you just think I am so busy and yet I don't seem to have anything at the end of the day to show for it. Yeah. Which is the wrong way of thinking, but that is the way we're conditioned to think because we're so conditioned to put our values or, or measure our success on um, career outputs and the material possessions that career outputs allow yeah. us to accumulate. Yeah, definitely. And and it's funny how um, if you look at even the littlest things that break down, it can be even in branding, how a certain brand will market something to make it feel appealing to that, if it's a trade or an industry of this sense of, belonging and worth and joining something you're part of something you're uh, you know you it, it's it's everywhere around us and it's only if you step back from it i guess you can understand that the answer to that question is far more complicated than a title yeah um i mean we're, we're conditioned from a really young age to think that we're heading for success which it has yeah, you're right. The, the the promotional material of anything it has yeah. smiling people, smiling families, um, and it it's it's very difficult to unlearn what you've learned for all of those years about 
where success is. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent it is, and um, success can be a, a and I suppose an undervalued portion of success is maybe the difference that you make rather than the title you have or the car or what that brought you. Um, and that probably doesn't get a lot of credit. That's right. So I think when I was um, writing the articles and reflecting on why we measure success in this way, um, I think from a young age, you're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? You're never asked, who do you want to be when you grow up? And that is the question we should be asking children, because especially now with um, longer life expectancy. Okay, so we're all going to have probably several career changes. I've I've had at least three already. Um, So asking the young person, what do you want to be? Is... um, it's kind of restricting their their view and their potential and their options. It, it's who do you want to be? You want to be able to deal with um, the, the challenges that life's going to send your way. Um, you want to continue learning throughout your life to be flexible enough to take career changes or career mm-hmm. breaks, you know. Now it's perfectly acceptable to have a career break at any age and to work until any age. Yeah. So what you do is it's such a tiny portion of who you are. Mm, yeah. But it becomes everything. And I think for me as a um a woman who went to school, college, university, started to go up that career ladder. It, like what I did and the job title, it became everything that I was with very little room for all of the stuff that I should have been focusing on. And isn't that funny that if you don't teach your kids or even mention it to them that the first stuff that you were just talking about there, those those principles of understanding things before deciding what you want to be become is so much more important because you, you're raising someone in a world and effectively it's like year 12 is a ticking time bomb that's, well, when you get to here, you better know. You better know that it's either to this path or to that path or here because you're expected to come off the conveyor belt of high school and jump onto the next one. And it's interesting that how can you make such a big decision, but that raises the importance of teaching the fundamental mindset at the start. And if you can have those basic principles, then that's going to make this transition and decision easier no matter when and where it happens. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, I I feel I need to protect my children a little bit from that constant pressure that, so in the UK it's GCSEs and then A-levels and then you would you would go on to do a degree if you wanted to go into higher education. Um, <clears throat> and it, it is that pressure that you've got to be hitting those targets at those ages. And that's the thing I think we really need to um, do away with. So I try and tell my children, you know, there's there's plenty of time. You've got a long life. My children are probably going to spend at least 60 or 70 years working um you don't need to know what you need to be in 10 years time when you have 60 years ahead of you 
But it is something that you do have to push back against that pressure because the pressure comes from all of the external world. Yeah. And it takes strength really to say, no, actually, I'm not sure what I want to be yet. I know that I have, a, you know, yeah, instill in good work ethics in them. Um, but allow them time to work out. It's not really what you want to be, is it? It's what skills you want to use and, and what makes you feel that you've got a sense of purpose. You know, investing in your relationships with people as well. I mean, everything's an investment, isn't it? So you, you invest in yourself when you educate yourself. and But you also need to invest in all of the other things that bring you um, joy in life, which yeah. is relationships. The, the importance of, I suppose, um, giving kids the tools to to deal with those obstacles and pre- external pressures and expectations and perceived um, pressures because that's really what a lot of it is is it's the weight that you feel whether or not it's there or not by default you, we are programmed to feel those expectations and weights and that's where um, stoicism and stoic principles can come into that and um, that's a period where because. Uh, I sort of resonated with a line that you said um, that when you discovered the Stoic philosophies as you were listening to a podcast and you, you know, it just struck a chord with you and you wondered if other people remember when they heard or gelled with those principles. Um, so for you, how, how did that come about? How did you then jump on to the Stoic philosophy? Oh, right. So perhaps we should just go over what the Stoic philosophy is. Yeah. Um, so stoicism has its origins in ancient greece um it was founded in around 3 bc by uh, zeno of citium and um it stoicism was practiced for around 500 years we don't have many of the ancient texts still surviving a lot were lost or destroyed but the ones that do have been translated and um, and so we can really learn a lot about uh, the, the sort of the teachings of these ancient philosophers and stoicism is it, it's very simple um, the core of it really is that in life there are things that you can control and things that you can't control. And once you really make peace with the things that you can't control and accept them, then you're almost freed from worrying about them. And we call the things that we can't control indifference. So they're things that we just let be. Now, the things that we can control are actually only the things we think and the way we act which means that everything else in life is out of our control. So that includes um, your health, your wealth, your reputation, um, everything. And so you're actually freed from worrying about those things. You just let them be. And then also part of the core stoic mindset is that the only thing you need for true happiness is virtue. And so Stoics will focus on wisdom, courage, justice, 
and temperance, justice being a sense of fairness, being fair to others, but also being fair to yourself. And temperance um, is having self-control. So for a Stoic, the purpose of each day really is to work on your virtue. And when you think that every day has an opportunity to work on one of those four areas, then happiness is closer than you think it is. So happiness isn't at the end of the degree, the job, the house, the car, the wife or husband, the children. It isn't this destination 10, 20 years in the future. Happiness is actually available right now. So, yeah, so this is what the philosophers were teaching. They they taught um, in, in, in public spaces, they lectured in public spaces. The Stoics, um, they started their lecturing in what was called the Stoopoikil, which is translates as the painted porch. So this was a, a grand walkway, a covered walkway in Athens. Um, and it was decorated with beautiful murals. And so they would lecture there and people would come and listen. And, um, and yeah, so it's, I think this is what, what resonated with, them, with me. It's, it's, it encourages a very simple way of looking at life and life's events, that life and nature, events happen. Okay, they they happen, and whether you see it as good fortune or bad fortune, that's through your eyes. But events are just events, and they just happen. And if you can learn to accept events as being out of your control, but then consider, okay, my response to this event is in my control. So how can I respond with wisdom, with bravery? with fairness and with self-control. And that's the core of the philosophy, really. And it, it is quite a beautiful philosophy, really, when you place it out like that. It's hard to argue with it. I think you're, you're right. So I went through a period, so as I mentioned in the, it was the, so it's the modern Stoicism article that you're referring to where I, I found I discovered stoicism. Yeah. So it's for me, it's only about three years ago. Um, and it did take some rewiring. So it sounds simple, doesn't it? But then we mm. get up and we carry on with life and we go back to our old behaviors. Yep. We get angry when this is how we get frustrated because we haven't had the promotion. We, you know, we get stressed out in the traffic jam. Um, and so part of it really for me is every night sitting down, and just spending a bit of time writing about my day, writing about, okay, how was I stoic today? Which ways could I be more stoic tomorrow? And this is, a, this is another beautiful thing about the philosophy is that you don't have to beat yourself up, you know, about the road rage that you suffered earlier on. You just say, well, so I know that self-control is a virtue that when I wake up tomorrow, I can start focusing on some self-control. So there's always the potential to be pursuing virtue, to to be um, heading for wisdom. That's that's the core of it, really. Stoics are just heading for wisdom, trying to master our um, our passions. And have you found yeah. the effects 
like have you can you identify with things that are now happening that you are dealing with differently that you are seeing a complete change in how you look and react absolutely yeah so when i so i first pressed pause on my career and those voices in my head you you had such potential you did all the training you know and and now now you're nothing it was very very difficult to quieten those voices and this is something that a lot of stoic um caregivers men and women um have, have said to me that we totally get what you're saying there it doesn't matter how you try to appease yourself you just keep hearing these voices you had potential you've stepped off the career ladder you'll never get back on um and so by by sort of having this sort of writing time each each evening it's really allowed me to rewire my thinking and anyone can do that so you do need to rewire your thinking so that instead of all of your little pats on the head coming from the external world you're focusing on yourself inner excellence rather than external excellence so I've spent quite a bit of time rewiring and and I will always have to we, we all will because we've been so hardwired to put our values and our successes on these external measures um but yeah, really, for me, really telling myself every day, you know, you're making a difference to your family. You're making a difference to everyone in the community or everyone in your life that you, you meet and you interact with. Because at the end of the day, when you think about the people that bring sunshine into your life, are they bringing sunshine into your life because they're a CEO or a company director or are they bringing sunshine into your life because of who they are and how they connect with you on a deeper level? Yeah, and it's definitely going to be that. But we still chase the job titles, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most most do. And I think most get caught up in that. Uh, cycle of um, just looking for the wrong things and a, a being drawn to the wrong things. It's it's chasing happiness in in temporary pleasures. Well, the thing is, I mean, it, it's still being stoic doesn't mean you have to turn your back on everything material, every every um, potential um, promotion. But we we just treat those as nice to haves. Yeah. So, so your emotions um, aren't tied to them. Your happiness isn't tied to it. You'll accept it and be grateful for it, but it's not going to swing you in high highs or low lows. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they're preferences, but they're not necessities. And I, I think actually, if you, um, if you have that really rational way of looking at things, you're likely to achieve the external things that you want to achieve because you're approaching them in a much more calm and logical manner not not so much desperation yeah no you're, you're absolutely right and you can see things different when you don't have uh, a supercharged emotion behind you pushing you that's right yeah yeah definitely and it's it's interesting because you can uh i know for myself I, i'm 
overanalyze and go deep into things and, and overthink. And then you end up in this rabbit hole of, oh, how does this add up? Because somewhere I've missed a number here trying to get this formula right. Um, but if you, you can debunk some of the myths, which I think have been tied to stoicism, and I think it mainly comes from people that chase the extreme side of it. Um, like all things, you know, people play at the extremes and then it becomes something that's not actually was ever meant to be. And things like, um, well, you know, you, you, um, people say you should be grateful. You should have gratitude. And then other people will say, well, that's an emotion and you, you shouldn't have that. And it's like, well, no, again, I think we've gone to an extreme here. And then you'll see people say, well, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't be an overly happy, cheery type of person because that's, uh, that again is an emotion that you should keep in check. And it's like, uh, I think there's balance to be had in, in a, you can debunk a lot of these things by stripping back and finding balance in the middle of that. You don't have to be miserable and, and dark um, to practice these values. You can have a laugh and be happy and enjoy all the good things in life. Um, but your ultimate happiness and, and day-to-day mindset isn't tied to the outcomes of things you can't control. So, I think there's a difference between the joy that Stoicism, that Stoics would are pursuing, and the happiness, which is more like um, I've heard it described as a, a sort of junk food. Yeah. So you, so you know, yeah, you might go out and have drinks and have a great time and be laughing a lot and and feel happy, and but it's quite a, it's quite a transient happiness. And you come down and perhaps after that you're thinking, okay, I spent too much money. I've got a sore head, but, you know. Um, whereas the, the stoic joy is more of a, a steadiness and a calmness. But there's absolutely nothing wrong at all with going out and having a jolly good laugh. And, um, you know, because then you're you're creating memories that you can savour in the future. But I think we probably just... I think we're in this real culture of overthinking whether we mm. should be happy all the time. Well, we do think we should be happy all the time, don't we? All the self-help books or everything that you read will be how to be happy. Um, and I think we have to accept that sadness is part of life too. I mean, stuff happens, right? And yeah. it's yeah. it's... It's unrealistic to think that you're not going to have times that are incredibly challenging. Um, yeah. They make you appreciate the good times all that much more. That's right. And I, and I think I, from my own perspective, I think a few before I found stoicism, I was also reading all the happiness guides and, you know, and feeling the pressure, like I should be happy. What's wrong with me? I, I've got two children and I've had a wonderful career and, I'm not, you know, and you feel like if you're not beaming every day when you jump out of bed, there's something wrong with you. So almost all of the self-help happiness material was making me feel worse about myself. Uh, I think if we all talk to each other, that this is another thing. We don't talk to each other enough nowadays, do we? We're all so busy. If we talk to each other, we'll be honest with each other and say, oh, you know what? I'm having a really tough time at the moment. And Part of, you know, pursuing wisdom is accepting that that is life. Life is full of ups and downs and we just need to learn 
to ride through it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And how I'm, I'm interested because I've explored this myself. I've got uh, two little kids as well. And um, how did you go about or what did you did you take? What aspects did you start? How did that whole process of trying to get your kids to understand and interested in this, um, you know, was there an event that, that instigated it all or how did that all sort of come together? Right. So my my mom had passed away when my children were really young and that left me really um, quite anxious about what values should I try to pass on to my children? I, I mean, it was irrational now, but I just really felt a sense of sort of, I, I have to do this as soon as possible, you know. Yeah. But, but what do I do? What? How do I do it? Um, this was before I found stoicism, actually. My mum passed away about six years ago. And, uh, and then when I discovered stoicism, it was a case of, well, the texts that, they're complex, so you couldn't really give a stoic book to a child. No. Uh, <laughs> so I was sort of really experimenting with how could I explain the virtue, the the the, um, the virtues to them, and they were going through a bit of a tricky time at school. They they were just I think we all do in primary school, don't we? They were just not not really loving school. And so I started where we were just having a bit of a cuddle in my bed at night where after the lights had gone out. And I started explaining to them the, the core principles of stoicism. So we talk about let's talk about what's in our control and let's talk about what we can't control about our day. And they just seem to relish that conversation. I thought it, that they would not be interested at all. They're nine and ten. But they were so eager. So we would start to go over, okay, what happened today then that um that you couldn't control? Okay, so this friend did this. Somebody said this to me. That's okay. So that was out of your control. So did you give yourself some time to just settle down, let your feelings calm down? Right. And then your response to this. Now this is in your control. So how did you respond? Did you were you brave? Were you fair in what you said back to the person? Did you feel like it was a kind and honest thing? And did you did you feel like you managed to stay controlled when you when you said it? And so we'll go on like this now. Each night we'll have this chat and we'll just really talk about the day. But because it always has that same, well, I, I refer to it as the algorithm, the stoic algorithm. Was it in your control? Was it out of your control? No, it was out of your control. Therefore, did you respond with bravery, with kindness, with fairness, with self-control? And that repetition, um, the children have just responded so like so well to it that they ask now each night it lights out oh, can we can we talk about stoicism tonight? <laughs> and it's like we go over exactly the same conversation every day. And it, yeah, it's great. But I'd be really interested because I wrote the article putting that out there. So I'd be really interested to hear whether this works for other people or whether they have any other um, suggestions. 
Well, it's that, it's interesting because I I struggled to find resources for kids, and I I did find a couple of books that were written um, for kids to read, I guess, and they play out scenarios and and um, it's how a kid is very shy and timid and gets bullied and then sort of gets told by his uncle of how you should react and deal with these things. And he turns in, he, his whole life turns around as a result of implementing those principles. But, um, you know, at a, at a kid level, a lot of it, I guess, has to do with removing the power of words. You know, if you can train them to, I think if, if a lot of stuff that happens in schoolyards is, is stupid, petty comments that, certain kids especially if they're a bit shy and timid will take those on board and and they become daggers um but if you take the power away from those words then it all changes and you know i've heard someone say well what if someone was yelling at you in italian um and they were saying all these terrible things to you what would you say and then the person says well i wouldn't say anything i don't know what they're saying well, they're just words it was the power that you go you have or you take away that makes the difference um, and I think that that's probably something I've tried to, to really drum into my kids is, um, you decide how you take on those words. It's not so much, you know, the value of, of anything else, but what you're giving the power of those words. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a tricky one, isn't it? Cause words are so powerful, aren't they? <clears throat> and it's very yeah. easy to tell a child, oh, you know, you know, words won't hurt you, but they can make a real life long-lasting impact yes. I think so yeah with my children I'm trying to teach them now okay you're you're bringing your kindness and your fairness to the table and it's the other person's responsibility to bring their kindness and fairness to the table and if they're not doing that then they're not doing their part of the bargain but you've done your part of the bargain and everything else is outside of your control yeah. and so it's just constantly I'm always using that same framework of it's outside of your control and also putting it you know the bullying or the name calling giving it back to the bully so your name calling doesn't belong to me. I've brought my fairness here. You're not bringing your fairness here. Obviously, you wouldn't tell a child to say, <laughs> say <Yeah>. that. But <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way I'm trying to teach them to think, is that what other people do, what other people say, what other people think about you, it's out of your control. And as long as you're bringing your fairness to the table, you've done your side of the bargain. And I think the the other thing too I've tried to to sort of um, pass on to them is that that if you've done everything you can do, it might be studying for a test. If you've gone into combat and you've you've covered every base, you've done everything you could have done. There was nothing, no nothing left that you could overturn and check. Then you just have to walk away from that and say I. I did everything I could do in this example, and I'm not going to beat myself up over the outcome because I don't feel I made any mistakes. That That's true. And also that, um, I mean, for me, when it comes to things like tests, you can always do them again and you can spend, you can do them whenever. So I still, I mean, I will still do GCSEs or I'm a bit of a serial night classer. Uh, right. there's, there's still, there's still, there's still, I don't know what your Australian equivalent is, but, um, you know, I'll, 
I would like to do GCSEs and, and for the rest of my life, really. And so this is this come, what you're saying there comes back to this idea that they have to have achieved the grades by eight, 18 years old or it's fixed for mm. the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's not at all the case, is it? No, 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 not, not these days. Not, you know, there's a lot of other avenues to end up where you might want to go. Um, you'll just have to take the side roads, you know, worst case. And so, yeah, and sometimes that's the better route. Um, I, so I did a degree, but I didn't start until I was 26. So I left school and worked for a while. And that gave me a much better foundation, a better attitude, really, going into my degree. And then I fast-tracked then through higher education. So there are so many roads to, yeah. I, I, I was going to say then to get to where you want to be, but I'm trying to get away from this idea that there is a place that you should be heading for because um, life's just full of so many potential paths and opportunities and I, you wouldn't want to restrict yourself by having this one place in mind really because then you can miss opportunities that pop in, in from the sides yeah and, and a lot of uh really happy stories end up from opportunity surprise opportunity that that just happened that you know and, that's and right it takes people on a path that they weren't expecting and they've they're ultimately really happy Absolutely. And I think it's only when you look backwards, you can see that path. You could never foresee it. You know, I mean, there, there are some professions where, of course, you can perhaps if you're in a medical career or something, you there's a very clear and well-trodden path yeah. to where you're, where you're going to go. But then, you know, you, you can listen to older people looking back on their careers and, and they've got a really fascinating um, story of the route they took yeah. so you know it, it's for, for me it suits me better to be more open-minded and to see where life's opportunities are going to come from I never really had one burning desire to be anything um, and I don't think that's ever going to come now so <laughs> I um and but yeah, this... we're almost felt to believe that that's a fault, aren't we? I think when you're younger, you you can really think, well, I don't want to be anything. What's wrong with me? I don't have one burning passion. And those people go on to be the quite interesting people that you meet. No, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think I think it's about enjoying the way that you're spending the present moment, but also periodically stepping back and looking at your big picture, and being satisfied that. You know, you're you're perhaps on, on on track to if there is somewhere that you you've envisaged you'd like to be, but then getting back into the present moment again and just repeating that. And is there any plans for for yourself to do some sort of a book around teaching these values to children, or, or presenting anything else for others that they can they can grab hold of? Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I struggled to find resources in that space and I think it would yeah. be, you know, I definitely think it'd be, a, um, aside from the commercial aspects of it being a, a good marketable idea, I think it's something that a lot of kids would benefit from. Yeah, I mean, it is something that 
I've thought about. So maybe you've given me some food for thought there. Um, <clears throat> so I've just I started writing for the Modern Stoicism and the Stoic Air blogs quite recently. So I should just mention that Modern Stoicism is a is a non-profit that um, researches Stoicism and ways that <clears throat> ways that the ancient philosophy can be applied to modern day uh, life. And Stoic Air um, offers Stoic wisdom to caregivers. So these are two non-profits. Um, they've got a very um, a, a lovely community of, of people across the world that join in with the online seminars and live workshops and so on. So, uh, yeah, so maybe I'll... Um, have a chat with some fellow stoics and, and see what material we could put together for children yeah i mean i think even some of the simple quotes that if you go on and google um you know stoic principles or stoic sayings i mean some of the most simplest ones um they're beautifully written and the messaging is is very clear and you you know it's it's easy to one thing that i think can happen is it's easy to get bogged down or drop something if you don't understand all of it. And um, I think that the some of these quotes, especially if you're going to um, target them towards, you know, under 18s, say, that even though they were written a long time ago, they still read exceptionally straightforward and clear. I mean, you know, the Marcus Aurelius, a simple one, you have power over your mind, not the outside events. I mean, it's so simple. It's 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 written very, very simple. And it instantly places a picture in your mind that you can take with you for the rest of the day. So obviously packaging that up um, for that market, I think would make a big difference to a lot of kids and parents. It would, it would obviously give them another tool if they've got a kid that is a bit shy and reserved or struggling with anything. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of sort of memes that do the rounds or sayings that um, modern day sayings that you think are, yeah, I, I can recognise that that has come down the generations from the Stoic philosophers, you know, Kesara and, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take up your You'll suggestion. Take, take that on board, <laughs> yeah. And, and where can people go if they want to find out more, um, any of your, your articles or is there a, a direct point that is the best spot that they will appear at first? Um, okay, there's, there's, there's a real burgeoning Stoic movement, the modern Stoic movement. It started about 10 years ago. So, and it's quite exciting because you can see that so many people have been hungry for something like this, a framework of how to live a good life. Um, so I think I would probably, I, I sort of started by looking at modernstoicism.com. Um, and stoicare.com, those two websites. But if you're on Facebook, then, I mean, we connected on the Brisbane Stoics, didn't we? We did, yeah, which is the other side of the world. It is, but that's that's just because I I join all the Stoic groups because I really like reading about what people are up to, and and the Brisbane Stoics have meetings, I think in-person meetings, and I quite often think, oh, if I was in Australia, I'd, I'd be at those meetings. So we should <laughs> we should give a shout out to those guys. And so you um, don't have that over there. They don't do those sort of catch ups. 
very much. Yeah, so we do, so we've got a London Stoics group, which right. I haven't been to in person yet. I've joined the online events, but I'm in Wales. I'm in South Wales, so I don't have anything currently in South Wales. Although there is um one of the other volunteer directors of Stoicare is also based quite close to me, so we possibly will start chatting about setting up a southwest uk stoics community but there are big stoic communities in in america um spain spain stoa madrid do some fantastic meet for breakfast once a week and chat about the philosophy and they they go on walks together and so it's just really nice to be able to spend time with like-minded people and yeah, these these community. people are finding each other. These that you know connecting globally, whether it's online or in person. So this is great. So there's, you know, so you can you can have a look at um, on social media. I must be honest. I'm trying to use social media less nowadays and live in the real world and connect with people in real life. It's a necessary evil, isn't it? And I. If you, if you can strip elements away of it and minimize what you're doing with it, it can be quite useful, but it's easy to let it consume you with rubbish and time wasting. That's right. My, my, so I only use Facebook. So after um, I pressed pause on the career and was feeling all the pressure of what am I, I actually deleted my LinkedIn account, which was a huge moment <laughs> because you feel like even just your LinkedIn account is this, this physical entity that you've spent years building up and crafting and yeah. it puts you out there and you can trumpet your accolades. And, mm. and so I just thought this is just, it's owning me. Yeah. So I deleted it. And so now if people search for me online, I, they probably think, well, who is she? Because like she doesn't really exist. She doesn't <laughs> she hasn't really done anything because because we can't find her online. So you're yeah. quite suspicious of people if they don't have an online presence. Yeah, which, which is, is often wrong. the best type of person you want to talk to. It's It's always the person at the yeah. back of the room who's taking it all in, doesn't say anything unless they're directly asked, that is often the where you're going to get the best advice. Yeah, that's it. So so I I do use Facebook for connecting with the Stoic groups, but I have really curated my news feed so that I am not bombarded with irrelevant information or things that's going to distract me. Um, so, you know, it's nice to go onto Facebook. There's the Daily Stoic as well. That's Ryan Holiday in America. He's a very popular Stoic. Yeah. He's got a big following in the States. So I'll follow Ryan and, so yeah, that's the Daily Stoic. And I follow all the Stoic groups around the world. And surely um, you must I, be Donald Robertson fan as well, being that yeah, you're so Donald, close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Donald Robertson, he, on Facebook, he goes under Marcus Aurelius. He's... And um, he's also got his own uh, podcasts and blogs. So if you if you Google Donald Robertson, he's really been a pioneer in the modern Stoicism movement. Um, and I, I've I've I very much enjoy reading and listening to his material because he really puts it across in modern day layman's terms. He does, yeah, and it doesn't feel commercialized in any way. It's it's just no. really well presented and um balanced and, and you can tell he's passionate about it and he's very well spoken um he comes across like a warm person there's a lot to like about 
listening to his work. Yeah. And, you know, Donald, some I was listening to a podcast of his the other day and he just this reiterated what you've just said. The, the, the interviewer asked him, you know, who's the most stoic, you know, celebrity or whatever that you've known. And, and Donald's reply was actually the most stoic people that I know are the people I've worked with in his in his capacity as a CBT counsellor. Um, just people from the, the poorer regions, they may be um, recovering from drug addiction or alcoholism. And those are the ones that are showing the stoic qualities more than any celebrity he's ever met. So that's you know, interesting. That, and that, that shows a really us, good point yeah. that you've that's really interesting that because it's true when people in that position do turn their lives around, that is really displaying a lot of the stoic principles. Yeah, and just quietly going about their day. And so and then but then there's also people like um Brittany Pollatt who um she's also a director of Stoic Care. And um, the Stoic Parents, so I also use the Stoic Parents Facebook group because that connects me with other caregivers. And then there's the texts, actually. So my go-to text is Epictetus. So Epictetus was um, a Stoic philosopher around um, the first, first and second centuries AD. He was actually born into slavery, but he was released and then he went on to found his own school of Stoic philosophy in Rome. And um, he didn't actually write himself, but one of his students. So so these these ancient philosophers would, would often, um, with the schools of philosophy, they would uh, offer their services to the, perhaps the sons of the, the wealthy Romans or the wealthy Greeks. And Epictetus had one of these schools. And one of his students, a guy called Ariane, um, it's his lecture notes. He captured Epictetus's lectures and they are now a collection called The Discourses. And it's a really wonderful text because it's just lots of short paragraphs. So it's very easy to open the book each evening and dip into any paragraph and just take, take that message to bed with you. So that's my sort of go-to book, Epictetus. But there's, you know, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, which, yeah. so Marcus Aurelius was the Roman emperor um, in the, the second century AD. And his Meditations was never actually meant to be read. It was his own thoughts, his own, his own journaling. But they were, um, after his death, they were published. And so now we've got access to the thoughts of a Roman emperor. And Marcus lived through some hugely challenging times. So if we think life's challenging now, he lived through uh, the Marcomannic Wars, which raged for um, oh, 25 years. And the Antonine Plague, which, you know, we've just come through an epidemic and we think we've we've had a tough time, but they also had the same thing and then the Antonine plague raged for around 15 years wow. so Marcus had these things to deal with and yet still he would dig deep into this you know well of virtue so his meditations that's another nice text to read and then you've obviously got texts by you've mentioned Donald Robertson Brittany Pollard so there are, I, I'm 
I'm, I'm cautious to mention any one name because all of the modern Stoics are are wonderful, um, you know, providers of, of material and and uh, and it's worth following different blogs and yeah, definitely. And, and, and sometimes you do gel uh, with how it's pre- it can all be in the presentation. The way the the delivery um, can make all the yeah. difference. So if you you know if you prefer someone's delivery more than the other you could listen to it three times and hear someone else deliver it and it just clicks so i suppose if you have an interest it's important to spread it across until you find that person's delivery that clicks for you yeah that's it yeah and whether you just prefer to read um the sort of modern literature or you want to read the translations and i, and I think you know i i've I, I still have a long way to go. There's a, there's a lot for me to still read because, as I say, I only discovered it three years ago. Um, I like to flip between the two. It depends how I'm feeling on any evening. Um, but it, it's, I think it's setting up that regular evening practice. If you want to rewire your thinking so that you're focusing on your inner excellence rather than the outer world, you do need to have a regular evening ritual in place where you just spend a bit of time reflecting on your day reflecting on the day to, to follow and um and doing a little bit of reading well what i will do is i will put um a couple of those links that you you are affiliated with or you do work with um i'll put them up so there'll be that on the page if people want to go there and a couple of other links as well so Hopefully people check those pages and in a short amount of time, there might be a book announcement. (laughs) Watch this space. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that's very kind of you. And I'm very honored that you invited me to talk. Thanks very much for sticking towards the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. As I did mention, there will be a page set up on the website, bumpingintocomau where there will be a few links um, that if you are interested in going deeper on the topic, even if you're new to Stoicism or you're looking to find Cal's blogs and articles, um, I will list as much as I can on that page. Head to the website, find the episode page, and it'll be down the bottom. There'll be a bunch of links. If you did like the episode, can you do me a favor and just share it? If there's anyone out there that you think would enjoy it or get any sort of gain from it, please do share it. I would love a five-star review, which does help other people discover the podcast. But my primary concern is just to make sure that it's shared. Um, I discovered Stoicism through a podcast by chance and and ended up really falling in love with the 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 practices of it and the um, the theory behind the philosophy. And uh, and so if there's anyone else out there that this could um, spur an interest and be a starting point for them, you know, that's really all I can hope for. If you, uh, if you enjoyed the show, by all means, feel free to subscribe. Every episode is different to the next. So there isn't a set format on this show. So you, so you may or may not find other ones that you enjoy. It's, it, the singular episode is, is pretty much the importance of what I'm trying to put together rather than the collective of the brand of the show. So uh, if you want to, you're more than welcome to subscribe. And that's the best way to keep up with updates and new episodes. If not, have a look around, see if there's something else you like. Once again, thank you for stopping. Thank you for making it to the end. I do appreciate your time and bringing this into your ears, whether that be in your car, your home, your office. Um, you, you're spoiled for choice. There are so many podcasts and so many people trying to create content. So the listeners are spoiled for choice. And if you're listening to this, I really appreciate that you've taken the time to get to the end. 
um, and I hope you enjoyed it. I will speak to you on the next episode.